Let me just say a huge hello to all of you who are joining us through the various means. You're watching us by way of website and the app, and you're also joining us by way of Facebook. And if you're joining us on Facebook, I just want to encourage you. One of the benefits of being on Facebook is that you can engage in the chat. Listen, on Facebook now, it's okay for you to chat or talk in church. So if you hear me say chat it up, I'm encouraging you to engage with us in that chat. All right? And uh, let's just take a moment for prayer. Lord, I thank you and praise you for this time. And I ask that you'd pour your spirit out and work miracles uh, as we seek uh, to look to you as our ultimate hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Listen, I'm excited to start a brand new series today in call, that, that I have entitled uh, Hope uh, in an Upside Down World. And as I think about talking about hope in an upside down world, I'm going to take this series and really divide it up into two kind of big categories. The first several weeks, we're going to really talk about uh, where should you look to find hope as you try to sustain your emotions, your attitude, your circumstances, and your dreams in a world that's turned upside down. And so to that end, I'm going to encourage you uh, to, to reach out to your family and friends and, and get them in on these messages. I'm reminded of uh, Carol uh, Sakamoto, who you see here in this photo with her husband, Marvin. She shared uh, a few weeks ago how she tuned into our 8 to 30 worship gathering and just by way of just a thought came to her and she started a watch party. And she was completely and absolutely shocked as people from all across different time periods in her life popped in and started to watch the gathering along with her. And ever since then, she's been tuning in at 8.30 and doing a watch party. And people who she says she knew would never uh, actually walk into a church building are engaging and worshiping with us. Those of you, some of you are watching me right now, I just want to say welcome to you. Uh, because uh, they found this to be an incredible, transforming, and strengthening uh, experience for them. So, I want you to help change somebody's life today, right now. I want to challenge you. It's right here on the screen. I want to challenge you to click the button, the share button. Can, can somebody shout, click the button? Can you type that in the chat room? Click the button right? The share button and activate a watch party. You can help transform somebody's life and even their destiny. Thank you so very much for doing that. The second big part of our series, which we'll kick into uh, after we, we work through a few weeks of this, particularly in the book of, Philippi, uh, of Philippians, is uh, a focus on, well, once I've found hope for my life, and by the way, I'm not just meaning any kind of hope, I'm talking about sustainable hope, hope that will sustain itself over a long period of time. Uh, how should you become the hope for others, right? That's the second half of this time series because at the end of the day, we're not just called to be Jesus followers. We're called to be Jesus carriers. Can you say, be a Jesus carrier? That's something you ought to chat, chat up in the chat room. Be a Jesus carrier. So, uh, that's the full extent of our teaching over the course uh, of the weeks to come. Now, what in the world am I talking about when I say an upside-down world? Well, I suspect you already begin to understand as you think about COVID-19 and the pandemic. Let me just talk about it in a couple of specific ways. Number one, I, I think about the term 
unprecedented unity. Whenever, uh, at least here in America, when we have faced a major uh, threat to our nation, we have always seen unprecedented unity. For example, in 9-11, you remember this picture of the entire U.S. Congress standing together on the steps of the Capitol uh, singing, God bless America. In this picture, as was the case in, this, in, the, in, this, in our nation, you weren't Republican or Democrat or liberal conservative. You were American. And you were, you, were, you were together in the fight to push back against terrorism. Compare this picture to where we are in America now as we fight COVID-19. We're, we're dealing with it in an era of unprecedented division. Where, where, where people are turning on each other rather than working with each other and it's having a huge impact on our ability to scale up testing and to support uh, our various states who are fighting this thing uh, and on and on and on. Unprecedented division in the time of a crisis. That's an upside down world, guys. I think about uh, how in times of crisis, historically in our nation, uh, the word unprecedented love comes to mind. Our ability to work together. Here, uh, during the days of Hurricane Katrina, these folk gathered together from all over the country uh, beginning to rebuild homes. Compare that picture to a news story that I heard just a, a few days ago where in a town in Georgia, uh, there were people who were being interviewed saying, look, everybody needs to wear a mask to protect us all. We're in this together. And somebody else was interviewed on the other side of that issue saying, essentially, you know, the government can't force me to wear a mask. No one can make, force us to wear a mask. Where is this thing? Where's the notion of unprecedented love? This is where we expect to find it. Historically, this is where it is, Right. It's absent. Wow. You know, think about church, for example. Just think about church life. And I talk about an upside down world. The other day I heard a story about, uh, the other day I heard a story about a church in Mississippi that had continued to meet uh, throughout this pandemic. And as a result of that, half of the congregation has, is now COVID positive and they are now beginning to experience death. On the one hand, I hear that story and my heart breaks and I think uh, that, you know, just how super unwise it was for that church to continue to meet. And on the other hand, to some degree, I get it, right? I, I, I understand the impulse. Here's why. Uh, I remember, again, during the days of 9-11, I was in Boston pastoring a church called Roxbury Presbyterian Church and I actually saw on TV the second plane at uh, as, it, um, as it flew into the Twin Town. And I had three, I did three immediate things. First, I called my wife Rhonda to make sure she was okay. Second, I ran to the elementary school and picked up my son as was the case, every parent was doing that. And then thirdly, I put out the word across the neighborhoods around our church that our church would be open that evening. Guess what? When 6.30, 7 o'clock came, the church was full, overflowing. With, with half of the people never would step foot inside that church on a normal circumstance. But they ran and came together. Because usually the power that we pastors have and the power the church projects is the ability to bring people together. And it's in that, that the commonality of worship and prayer and fellowship Together, Here's a picture of, uh, of New Beginnings when we were worshiping together. Just can you imagine the power 
That's what we pastors are. That's what we know how to do. That's what our instincts say do. Pull the people together. But the proper thing to do in this context is to keep the people apart. To keep buildings empty. That's opposite of our instincts. Think about funerals. I mean, that's the time when people come together in crowds to help carry the load of grief. But the proper thing in this is small groups get together for funerals, memorial, and you don't even get to hug and kiss. That's so opposite to our instincts, right? It's not how we're designed. You know, think about hospitals. When your loved one's in the hospital, uh, the way we're shaped is you go there. But today we can't go there. You know, this is a time, I, 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 the way I describe it is, it's, it's the world is upside down when the abnormal becomes the norm. That's what we're living through. And when we discover, or as we think about this moment, the fact of the matter is, it's having a huge impact on us. One of the ways it's impacting us is, every one of you right now that's watching me, I'm sure you can think of at least three or four different ways where your anxiety uh, has ratcheted up, right? Either you're not sleeping well, or you're eating too much, or you're eating too little, or you're short-tempered in a way that is not the norm for your life. This thing is impacting all of us. It's one thing if it, uh, it was to happen for 60 or 90 days, but we're now beginning to get that, you know, the world is not just changing, the world in some ways has changed. And inside of that reality, hope is leaking. Can you say hope is leaking? Right? In the, you guys want to chat that up in the chat room? Hope is leaking. Now, this is where we connect with our text for today. Paul is in a world that's been turned upside down. And not only has his world been turned upside down, his dreams have been turned upside down. Paul ultimately gets to Rome and he writes this letter to the church in Philippi. It's called the letter, the Philippians, right? And we're going to work through Philippians uh, over the course of the next several weeks. And uh, his world's turned upside down because he's writing this, he's imprisoned. An innocent man in prison simply for proclaiming his faith. And he's writing to a community of believers whose world's been turned upside down because they're in the midst of being persecuted and the suffering in their world is escalating. And not only is his world turned upside down, but for Paul in particular, his dreams have been turned upside down. And as we read this text, I want to suggest to you that embedded in this text is a secret, if you will, of, of where one should look or how one should structure their life or their faith if they're to find what I call sustainable hope. Even in the midst of a world turned upside down and when your dreams have been turned upside down. So let's look at this text. Here's what Paul writes from prison. He says, for I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ. Watch this. Whether I live or die. Remember that phrase. Whether I live or die. Now let me ask you. Uh, let's do a couple of things. First of all, 
Let me define the word hope. Here's, 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 I looked up, here's one definition for the word hope. Because I'm talking about the fact that our hope is leaking. And I'm suggesting that in this verse, uh, there's a secret. In this verse, there's a key that if you get the key, you can unlock the pathway to some sustaining hope. Now, but here's the definition for hope. To, des- to desire with expectation of attainment or fulfillment. To desire with expectation. Now, go back to verse uh, 20, what we just read. I just want to read the first part again. So you can see, can you find it here? See? For I fully expect and hope. There it is. Paul is full of hope. Paul is full of great expectation, even though his world has been turned upside down and his dreams are turned upside down. And in this text, there's a secret that he wants to teach us about about how to access that kind of great hope and great expectation. But hold on. Let's just... I want to talk a few moments about how was his dreams turned? Uh, how was his, yeah, how was his dreams turned upside down? Well, uh, Romans 1 verse 13 reminds us of how long Paul had longed for and dreamt of getting to Rome so that he could proclaim the gospel in Rome. Because if he could preach the gospel in Rome, and if, if, if the church in Rome could explode, and that's who he's writing to in the book of Romans, the church in Rome, if that, that church could explode, well, remember, all known world roads in the Western world, you know, intersected in Rome. And so the gospel exploding, the church exploded in Rome, meant that it would explode across the world, that people would would have a greater chance of hearing who Jesus Christ was and is. Here's what he writes. He's framing now this dream that he had had for quite some time. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you but have been prevented from doing so until now in order that I might have a harvest among you just as I have had among other Gentiles across the world. You see, he had, he had been planning it. He had been dreaming of it. He had been desiring it for a long time. It was his dream to get to Rome. Look at what he says in the final chapter of his letter to the Romans. He says, since I have been, here it is, longing for many years to visit you. Look at that dream. There it is right there. So finally, the schedule has opened up. Finally, God's providence has created space. And here's what he writes. So I plan to do so when I go to Spain. Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. Here's what he's talking about. He has gathered and collected some money that he's now going to take to the church community in Jerusalem because they too are suffering and under various forms of persecution. And so he's going to carry some financial gifts there. And then he plans to leave Jerusalem and head towards Spain and end up there in Rome. That's his dream beginning to unfold. What actually happens is that when he got to Rome, uh, when he got to Jerusalem, Uh, the Jewish community officials arrested him for blasphemy. They turned him over to the Roman officials. That turned into about a two-year ordeal where he stayed in prison, particularly in Caesarea. And then ultimately, he asked for his case to be appealed to Caesar. And as a result of that, he does get to Rome. But he gets there in chains. 
He gets there under house arrest and imprisoned with, with guards outside of his door. So here was a man who dreamt of showing up in Rome so that he could go from house church to house church to house church, building up the leaders, equipping the people uh, so he could go in and out of synagogues, proclaiming who Jesus was, both to the Jewish community and to the Gentiles, so that the church could explore. It was the thing that he dreamt of night after night after night. He planned for, replanned for, replanned for, and finally when when the day comes, he shows up in chains under house arrest. Can somebody say dreams turned upside down? That was Paul's situation. His dreams was turned upside down. Now, let me just take a moment and talk about three ways in which our dreams get turned upside down. Uh, as we keep trying to find the answer to this question, what's the secret? What's the key? How do I open the door to some hope that's sustainable? The first way that uh, we find that our dreams are turned upside down, that you'll discover your dreams being turned upside down, is when you're asked to surrender your dream. Oftentimes, life asks us to surrender our dreams. And those of us who are Jesus followers will find this to ring true. From time to time, God will ask you to surrender your dreams. On last weekend, my wife and I celebrated 34 years of marriage, 35 years of dating. And uh, uh, it was just a huge blessing. And one of the things that I, remire, I admire the most about Rhonda is her fidelity to Jesus under any circumstances. Now, her passion, which kind of reveals a bit about her dream, she's a physician. And she loves caring for her patients. She wants to be in the room with them, diagnosing following uh, their various cases and uh, helping to get them from sickness to healing. This has been her thing since, you know, before she went to medical school, her passion to care for patients. Over the course of the last year and a half, uh, the hospital where she is employed began to pursue her for a position, medical director position, which would caliport her into leadership which has administration and all that stuff attached to it. She's a born leader. She didn't want to do that. She wanted to take care of her patients. Finally, a few months ago, after much prayer, God confirmed to her that he was calling her to this next level of administration and leadership. In a, in a sense, he was asking Rhonda to give up her dream. Once she finally this was clear that that's what God wanted, that's what she did. As a result, in some sense, her suffering has, has accumulated as a result that came out of that decision, right? She, she's working twice the number of hours. She's working almost seven days a week. Uh, she's uh, both leading her department and helping to lead the COVID-19 response team. And some of the decisions that she has helped the administration make has been just remarkable. Her leadership is impactful. It's clear to me why God would do, would call her to do it. But the journey for her has been huge sacrifice, enormously painful. Where does Rhonda find the secret to a sustaining hope under those circumstances? Keep listening. The second uh, way in which our dreams are turned upside down happens when the accomplished dream does not 
fulfill you. Look at the word fulfill. I like that word. You flip it around, it means feel full. When you actually accomplish everything you have dreamt for, it's exactly the way you imagine it. You actually arrive. You're sitting in the corner office. You, 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 you have the salary that you have hoped for. You're in the house that you wanted. You, 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 you have won four championships if you are, are uh, you know, maybe a Michael Jordan. Right. You, you, you're there. You have arrived. And then you realize you're empty. Can somebody say empty? Fully accomplished dreams and still empty. Here's an example of that. Alexander the Great is the son of Philip of Macedonia. Philip is the person uh, that that the, the city of Philippi is named after. Philippi, of course, is where the church community is that Paul is writing to from a Roman sail. And uh, it is said about Alexander the Great that after he had conquered all of the Western world, they found him walking around and after he had surveyed all of his domain, he, he started to weep. And he wept because And then he said, look, here was his words. There are no more worlds for me to conquer. And he wept. Wow. You think with all that power and all that accomplishment, there would be nothing but joy. But for him, there's nothing but emptiness. I've accomplished all I've dreamt for. And yet I'm empty. Where does one find the secret to hope in that context? The third way in which we uh, find that our dreams are turned upside down happens because broken life breaks your dreams. Some of us, we actually acquired a dream and we wake up and broken life breaks us. For example, this is the person who's pursued their love interests through thick and thin, over two and a half years, baby. Finally, you get married. You are blissfully full of joy. Two and a half years later, you're divorced. Broken life breaks your dream. Or perhaps the person I'm thinking about now, remarkable young man who found and fell in love with his high school sweetheart. And at the pinnacle of their relationship, She's taken from him by way of a tragic death. Broken life breaks your dream. Where where do you find hope in the midst of this that sustains you, that empowers you, that that, that, that brings fresh life to you? This is the question, right? This is the question that that you want to hear the answer to inside of Rhonda's circumstances. This is the question that Alexander the Great needed to find an answer to. This is the question of of a person who has lost a loved one to tragedy. Where do I find this sense of hope, which is often tied here? Here's a clue to purpose. Often tied to sense of purpose. Well, there's a guy by the name of Eric Liddell. 
He's a fascinating figure. As a matter of fact, he's so amazed. He had a remarkable life, and they had a movie uh, made uh, about him called Chariots of Fire. Uh, Eric was born in uh, China in 1902 to missionary parents, Christian home. He got to high school. He and his brother were sent to a boarding school in London. Later, he uh, ended up in one of the distinguished schools in Scotland. And by the time he got to college, he was a superstar athlete already. And he had already set a record for the 100-meter dash. Now I think it was 9.7 uh, seconds. And that record in, in Great Britain lasted for 35 years. He was an amazing guy. Here's what he said. This is fascinating. Listen. He says, I believe God made me for purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. I want you to look at this. I believe God made me for a purpose. And he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel God's and he lived his life with one goal in mind by the way it happens to be the same goal that Paul lived his life it happens to be the same goal that Rhonda lives her life by and his goal was to make sure that his life white uh, 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 lived inside of God's greater purpose for him that he was a part of God's greater story that that his life was to be about here it is honoring God and it was inside of that context that he says look and he gifted me to run and when I when I when I do what he's gifted me to do I feel God's pleasure he's pleased well what about you when you're doing what God has gifted you to do whether that's a plumber or a doctor do you feel God's pleasure when you do what God has gifted you to do, whether you are a back room, uh, where, where you're packaging packages for Amazon, uh, whether you are an electrician or an education, do you feel God's pleasure? When, when, when you do what God has gifted you to do, do you feel God's pleasure? Here's part of the secret to, to determine whether or not you feel God's pleasure is you get, do what God has gifted you to do. Here it is. Are you doing it for God? Do you see the living of your life in whatever the circumstances to be about serving God and God's greater purpose for your life? Is that you? In our Christian context, it means has Jesus Christ become Lord of your life and the best and the redeemer in your life? And, 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 and do you look to God to guide your footsteps Whatever the circumstances, whatever circumstances you land in. Well, here's the fascinating things about Eric's story. He actually made it to the Olympics. 1924 Olympics in Paris. He was one of the superstars. His country was super excited. It turns out that his best race, the 100 meter race, was going to be done on Sunday. It was scheduled for Sunday. And not only that, the second race, he's supposed to be a relay race, was also scheduled for Sunday. But for him, Sunday was a Sabbath. And because he was so serious about his life serving the purposes of God, he refused to run on the Sabbath. It caused a huge uproar. 
major controversy. And when people asked about why would you do this, because his task was to use his life to honor God. And he didn't run. And finally, he makes a decision. He knew in advance he couldn't run on Sunday in the 100, so he prepared to run for the 400 meter. And as he got ready to take his place, hit it out to the track to run, which was not his best sport, his best uh, meet, someone put a little piece of paper in his hand. He got a moment, he opened, he read it, and it was the scripture taken out of First Samuel uh, chapter 2. And here's what the scripture said. Those who honor me, I will honor. The 400 meter was not his best uh, meet. Nobody really expected him to win. He ran to honor God. He won. He set a world record. He ran to honor God. A little later, he would ultimately make the decision to become a missionary. He would go back to China. And around 1941-42, when, when the Japanese invaded China, he could have gotten out with his family, but he opted to stay, to be God's light in that dark place because he felt that's what God had called him to be. His whole desire was to honor God with his life. He ultimately would die around age 43, 44. And the last words from a brain tumor, and the last words that he would stumble into a permanent coma saying, was surrender. Surrender. Wow. That's the secret, guys. That's what Paul was trying to communicate back in verse 20, that, that he had surrendered totally his life and that whatever circumstances his life was in, it was about honoring God. So here's, here's the secret, guys. Here's the secret. How do I deal with uh, with, with life when my dreams have been turned upside down, you've got to have a vision that's greater than your, your dreams. You've got to have a vision that's greater than your greatest dreams. And Paul's vision that was greater than his greatest dreams was to live a life that honored God. Eric's dream that was greater than his greatest dream, which was to, to, to run in the Olympics and, and run the 100 uh, meter, which he had to ultimately give up, uh, his vision to honor God was greater than his greatest dreams. Rhonda's vision to honor God with the totality of her life is greater than her greatest dreams. And, and, and ultimately, here's what Paul says. I love it. Let's go back and hear what he says in verse 20, 120. Let's reread this verse. We'll see it. Uh, why am I full of such expectation? Why am I full of such hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past? Here it is. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or whether I die. Do you see the profound purpose that is exploding in Paul's life? Do you see how it's tied to a greater vision of using his life to honor God in whatever circumstance, whether I live or whether I die? And when that is your posture, 
There is always hope because your hope is not in the circumstances. Your hope is not in the ending of suffering. Your hope is not in acquiring wealth. Your hope is in pleasing God and knowing that at the end of the day, it's what God says about your life that is lasting. Live for God. And so that's why I end here today. I want to challenge you to make a decision today that you will have a vision that's greater than your dreams and that that vision will be to live a life that honors God in every circumstance. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for this moment. Yeah, I did my best with these words, but I ask that your Holy Spirit would go beyond what I can communicate with words and touch people in their hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, listen, there's a connection card, both for the Facebook and the website. There's some options there, some choices that you get to make right now, including follow Jesus. But I want to challenge you to make this commitment right now in a destabilized world. I want to challenge you to make this commitment right now, not knowing what tomorrow will bring. Decide now that I will honor God with my life in every circumstance. Now your life is about to be transformed by sustainable hope. I'll see you next week. Guys, it was awesome to have you uh, with us today and can't wait to see you next week as we do part two of this series. Make sure that you have some friends to join you online on Facebook. Secondly, I want to encourage you to really think through, take a picture of this reflection question. Think it through now, process it. What does it mean for you to do, for you to honor God with your life in your current circumstances? Talk to some people about that, process that.